InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Could a routine hospital stay result in you getting a deadly bloodstream infection? The odds are greater than you think. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey speaks with a medical doctor who's on a crusade to change things. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Peter Pronovost. He's an intensive care specialist physician at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. He's a professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in the Departments of Anesthesiology and Critical Care Medicine. He's also the author of Safe Patients, Smart Hospitals, How One Doctor's Checklist Can Help Us Change Healthcare from the Inside Out. Dr. Pronovost, welcome to InfoTrack. Yeah, thanks for having me. You introduced an intensive care checklist protocol that has saved a lot of lives in a study in Michigan, I understand, and you've been on a crusade to get hospitals to adopt this checklist nationwide. Tell us about that. 31,000 people die in the U.S. each year from bloodstream infection. Just to frame that, that's about as many people as die of breast cancer every year. So a huge public health problem. And for decades, we thought these infections were inevitable, that they just happened to sick people. And so we packaged a program that included a checklist of what our recommended practices, culture change to get the nurses to question and work with the physicians to ensure they use those practices, and then robust measurement and feedback of infection rates. And we virtually eliminated those infections throughout the state of Michigan, and we showed that they sustained low now for over three years. And we're taking this program state by state across the U.S., and in our first 22 states, they all replicated the Michigan results. So these programs work, they save lives, and yet around the country, there's many hospitals that have infection rates 10 times the national average. In some states, only 20% of hospitals are participating in this free program. Maybe you can just run down some of the most important items on your checklist, because these are pretty interesting. Yeah, they're really simple. Wash your hands. Use full barrier precautions, which means cover yourself and the patient. Avoid placing catheters in the groin. Ask every day if I still need the catheter and use a soap called chlorhexidine, which is about twice as effective as betadine. I understand this whole checklist idea is basically modeled after checklists that pilots use in aircraft. We, borrowing from aviation, called out from a very well-developed guideline a simple checklist of these five items. We took a 100 recommendations, simplified it to five, made sure doctors were able to do them. We made it easy to do with them. For example, when we first started, we were doing the items on the checklist. I was doing them. I was one of the doctors here at Johns Hopkins. Our rates were initially high 30% of the time. The reason was we didn't store all that equipment together. It was hard for me to get it. So we created a line cart Ask doctors what equipment they need, assign someone to stock it, and compliance went up to about 80% with that simple intervention. Now, you mentioned you've introduced this in 22 states so far. You have encountered some resistance to changing procedures and adopting this checklist, right? Yeah, I mean, anytime you try to change practice or try to change anything, people resist. Just to be clear, we've put this program or are in the process of putting it in now 45 or 46 states. I'm traveling state by state. In 22 states, they've been doing it for over a year, so we have enough data to say if it worked. And we're really excited to say, yes, it works amazingly. I mean, it's a model that we think could be used to tackle many other types of harm with this structured approach. 
You have a personal story about how you began this crusade for hospital safety, don't you? Yeah, I do, and it's not, frankly, a very glorious story. I lost my father to a medical error when I was a fourth-year medical student, and then a little girl, Josie King, died at my hospital from what started as a catheter infection. And at the time, our infection rates were quite high. And her mother asked me on the anniversary of her daughter's death, Peter, could you tell me that Josie would be less likely to die now than she was a year ago? And at the time, I couldn't give her an answer. And I believe deeply that she deserves one. The American public deserves one that safe care ought to be a right. And I think it really is a model to finally say, let's make progress on this enormous problem of preventable harm. We're talking with Dr. Peter Pronovost, who is an MD and is on a crusade to improve safety in hospitals by reducing or maybe even eliminating infections through the use of a simple checklist for hospital employees. Dr. Pronovost, one thing you have written about is the idea that hospitals can reduce error rates by empowering nurses. Tell us about that. Sure. When we were putting this checklist in, I mentioned that that cart that we used got us up to doing the checklist about 75% of the time. What got us the rest of the way, and it's a basic principle of safety of independent checks, is we asked the nurses to work with the doctors who were putting these catheters in to ensure that patients actually got the items on the checklist. And when I first started it, I nearly caused World War III. I mean, it was unbelievable. The nurses said, if I question the doctors, I'll get my head bit off. The doctor said, I don't want to be questioned. You know, I'll look like I'm not perfect. And that's why we incorporated this culture change. And now with the change to culture, our nurses routinely question doctors, but they're not approaching it as if they're battling each other. They're approaching it as the patients are North Star, that we're actually on the same team to give the best care for the patients. And yet when I travel the country, I routinely ask nurses, In your hospital, if a new nurse were to see a senior doctor not comply with the checklist, would the nurse speak up and would that interaction go well? And I am routinely laughed at. I mean, they say, are you nuts? Where do you practice medicine? There's no way that would happen. And I ask us to think about what other industry would tolerate the violation of a standard that kills as many people as breast cancer, and we just accept that. Because we know these infections are preventable, and nobody debates the evidence on the checklist. I mean, the issue is never, is this good science? The issue is ego and power and politics. And I think it's about time we start changing our culture that we see ourselves working as the same team. Can you offer some advice to consumers who would like to protect themselves when they go into a hospital, either as a patient or even as a visitor? Absolutely. And I'll offer some advice specifically for this type of infection. And the first is if you're going in, ask what their bloodstream infection rates are. And if they're high, I would be concerned because what we've seen is that hospitals that get their infections down are often a marker for having higher quality care. I would ask if they are using the checklist if you're going to have one of these catheters. If a doctor or nurse walks into your room, I would absolutely ask if they've washed their hands unless you've seen them wash their hands and feel comfortable questioning them about that. If you have any type of catheter, every day ask if you still need it. That is, are you getting benefits to exceed the risks? Because most of these catheters, or all of them, do some good. They have a purpose. 
but they also impart risks. We want to make sure that when the risks exceed the benefits, we take the catheters out. And I think with those types of things that patients could partner with their clinicians to really ensure that we address this deadly problem of bloodstream infections. Is there anything on either the regulatory or the legislative front that could speed this process along to improve hospital safety? Yeah, I think there's a couple things, and we've seen some good work out of CMS. The Centers for Medicaid Services will now require that hospitals publicly report these infection rates. And, you know, we had some discussion about should they regulate our checklist. And to be honest, I'm not supportive of that because science advances too quickly for regulation. You know, a year from now, and we saw there's new technologies that come out that might reduce infections. But what we should do is require the public reporting of the outcomes, that is, these infection rates, and then make them transparent and encourage science and clinicians to innovate to drive them down as low as possible. So I think that is a very real and effective opportunity. On the regulatory side, we have requirements for safe practices, but what we don't have right now is any guarantee that a hospital who has an infection rate 10 times, 15 times the national average has anything happen. In other words, if you look across the country, hospitals with rates that are outrageously high are still admitting patients, they're still getting paid, they're still fully sanctioned, and there's no accountability. And I think that's a direction where we have to learn. And no doubt it's we have to do it cautiously and responsibly, but at some point there has to be some accountability to the citizens that these hospitals serve in their community. Dr. Peter Pronovost from Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. He's also the author of Safe Patients, Smart Hospitals. Dr. Pronovost, do you have a website where people can learn more? Sure. They can go to www.safercare.net, and it has all the materials for this national program. Well, thank you very much for spending some time with us on InfoTrack. Great. Thank you. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack the weekly show with information you should know.